All right, you're back in the DFSR. We are here with a PGA podcast. It's Tuesday. It's June 9th. I'm Doug Norrie, and over there is Chris Durrell. Oh, man. I'm excited to be back. It's been a while since we talked. Oh, I mean, it's been... Uh, it's been, I mean, you and I talk a decent amount during the week anyway, but like a formal talking kind of thing. I, this is, I, I, we're, I, we've been slowly trending towards sports are back, you know, UFC this past weekend. I watched my first UFC match, 250 UFCs, and I'd never bothered to tune into one of them because I was never into it. But this weekend I was like, there's something on. I gathered the family, I gathered the family around to watch the octagon. <laughs> Big like, event. My little, kid, my little kids there too. Yeah. I was like, you know, just watch this. This is sports. We can watch this. I like, we were, I was with somebody that actually knows a decent amount about MMA. So there's some. There was some coaching that went along with it, but it finally was like, okay, we're trending sort of back to sports normal here. And with the PGA coming back this week, we were like, we got to jump on a podcast and talk about something because it's been forever since we talked about anything sports related on a scale of one to just kind of pumped. I mean, you've been you've been in the you've been in the DFS street since this started, like League of Legends, Outlaw okay. Golf. Yep. I mean, you were probably betting on like Pokemon at some point would be my guess. Like, Pretty I don't know. close. Like, you you kind of got your hands. Yeah, you got your hands into everything. So, do you, but do you feel like this is sort of different than that, or do you feel like you've been, like, just kind of keeping yourself busy because you've been grinding just about anything that comes along, uh, making sure that you're kind of up to date on what's been going on here? Yeah, League of Legends uh, was good. The the spring season ended, and then we had some outlaw golf. That was really cool to learn some new players and some you know developmental players that we might even see in the future. Um, it was tough because there was only showdown contests. They didn't really have full full field, full week contest for the tournaments, which kind of sucked. Showdown kind of got old for that. And then we got into KBO uh, with no Major League Baseball. I really, really started to enjoy uh, the Korean Baseball League. It's it's a cool atmosphere. I've learned a lot there as well. It's going to help me carry over in terms of you know my sheets and, and formulas and stuff like that and stats into Major League Baseball season, if we ever have one. But even when NASCAR came back, uh, I think it was two weeks ago at Darlington, had that feeling like, okay, this is exciting. But this week feels different. It even started for me last week with PGA coming back because it feels like more people uh, are surrounding the DFS PGA. It really grew to one of the more, I guess, one of the biggest DFS sports out there, you know, behind your basketball and your your NFL. Um, golf is right up there in terms of popularity. So it, it just... Just reading Twitter, getting people's reaction, it really feels like like sports are coming back this week. So I'm really excited. On a, on a scale from one to ten, probably about thirteen. Yeah, they got um the, they got a million dollar prizes in on FanDuel yeah. and DraftKings. These are just this is this they understand the need for this stuff. I mean UFC ran a millie maker last week, um, yeah. which was would have been to, totally unheard of, uh, just if you know just a few months ago. But just speaking to just how much. Folks just want to get a sweat, and I, I'm I'm down with that. I I had some MMA bets. I didn't even know that I didn't, couldn't even spell these guys' names last week, and I was like, you know what? We'll just do it. We'll we'll, we'll throw them in there. We'll get a we'll do like five minutes worth of research and just throw some bets in, and then just kind of get a little sweat in on the fights. But we're gonna talk about the Charles Schwab, uh, Charles Schwab challenge. Sorry, I thought they we'll talk about how they switched the names of this thing a couple times. Yeah. Here. So it's not this isn't this isn't your standard um sort of ubiquitous under you know, famous tournament. This is yep. one that I mean well, you would say that this one has all the big names in it simply because of the timing of it, not because of the actual course or the, the, the history behind it, right? Like the Charles Schwab challenge isn't a, isn't one of these every guy usually plays this tournament kind of, kind of tournaments, right? No, that's right. Um, like Rory McIlroy, I've got uh course, course history from the last 10 years and like Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, never been here. Uh, Brooks Kopp, Kepka, he's only played here once. He finished second in 2018. Dustin Johnson has only played here once in the last 10 years. That was 2014. So we get a lot of these big names that don't, whether it be scheduling for them in the season or not, um, it's usually only get two or three big names. This one is absolutely loaded. We've got every player inside the top five in the world and something like 25 or 30 uh, out of the top 50 in the world here. And it, it it's more of a race to see. Everyone wants to get back, obviously. They weren't. Didn't, it wouldn't have mattered where this tournament was. The top names would definitely want in after this break for sure. But, yeah, the, it's at Colonial Country Club. Um, so this year it's named Charles Schwab Challenge. Last year was the same thing. Before that, it, they didn't have a sponsor. It was a Fort Worth Invitational. Dean and DeLuca two years before that. And then going back all the way to 1970 before that, it was always the Crown Plaza Invitational. So very old event. Um, very historic on the tour that it's been around that long and had that same name, same course, that sort of thing. Not much has changed here. So um, it, it's more or less, like you said, the the return to golf and everyone wants a piece of it. All right. So and that's good because we have a really pretty 
pretty great player field, honestly. Yeah. Here. Pretty basically all the star all the stars are here. This is like this is akin to maybe almost like a major in terms of in terms of like just the absolute yes. star power that they're bringing to this, which makes sense. And we're gonna get into. Uh, Chris and I are going to get into a discussion here. Chris has um, a pretty in-depth model that he's been working on for years and years and years uh, that's um, produced really great results. Uh, it's a little bit more filter-based than it is like actual projection-based. Yes. I, I don't want to step on your toes on that. So if you just correct me if I'm wrong. No, nope, 100%. I, 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 we've talked a lot about it. And then in the background for you know the last year plus, we've been working on uh, PGA just actual projections here in terms of you know what inputs would really be important and how we how we kind of forward build a PGA projection instead of reverse engineering uh, one, which we kind of do with other sports. So not to get too nitty gritty on the details, but PGA is a different animal because you can't really take baselines and kind of chop them up and whack them up in terms of like uh, um, you know who you're facing and kind of you know basically dividing up you know a season long worth of production yeah. and boiling it down on a game to game basis. Uh, PGA does work a little differently. So where Chris and I will talk about some of the differences and some of the things his model sees. And, um, you know, the DFSR, I'm calling it the DFSR model, though Chris has had a massive amount of input on it, so I don't want to just say ours. And when I say ours, I'm saying, you know, Chris is as much a part of that as well, because um, a lot of what, you know, a lot of, it's mostly just me shooting questions at him, be like, does this make sense? Does this make sense? All this stuff. So um, just want to be really clear about, you know, sort of like the, 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 the birth of sort of these numbers. But let's talk first about the course. And then, you know, what you're looking at in terms of this course compared to some other, like what maybe makes it stand out, what kind of skill sets will benefit from playing here um, in terms of what golfers you're kind of looking at on, mm -hmm. when it comes to this, knowing, knowing that we get all the big names here. So, uh, so at that point, we kind of do have to sort of, you know, get into the weeds about what's important. When you look at this course, what are some things that sort of stand out to you? Yeah, so first of all, it's a par 70, 70 just over 7,200 yards. Um, so it's not your typical par 72 that we see most weeks, and that kind of changes the strategy a bit. It makes it an interesting course to come back to for sure because it's not your bombs away, uh, you know, straight down the middle, and bomb and gouge, I guess you could call it. You can't really do that on this par 70. It's, it's a little bit more strategic in that you need to place your ball off the tee and in the right spot. I mean, you can be really penal missing the fairway, um, but I'm not totally looking at driving accuracy. It's more that getting in position somewhere close to the fairway, if you're off the fairway even just a little bit, because the greens are very small. We're right around 5,000. I'm just going to jump to my course notes here and go over a couple of those things here real quick. Uh, right around 5,000 square feet, that's very small. Average, you're right around 6,500, somewhere around there. So we're smaller than average. 84 bunkers, quite a few, in some good spots on the fairways, like in the 300-yard landing mark. So it does force players to either make a decision, are you going to bomb it, uh, say, 330 over those bunkers and maybe risk not having a shot at the green, or are you going to dial back and maybe go three-wood, driving iron off the tee, um, which, air quotes, less than driver is kind of what the, the industry calls that. I think we're going to see a lot of that this week. Um, for instance, looking back just at the last two years, I kind of went and had a peek at the guys that led the tournament in driving. And last year, it looked like there was about 30 to 35 players that averaged over 300 yards off the tee. Only two of those last year, or sorry, three, finished top 10 um, in the tournament. And then the year before that, there was even more. It looks like there was about... 45 players uh, averaging over 300 yards per drive, and there was only four players that finished top 10. It happened to be three of them inside the top five, including the winner. But as you can see, distance isn't as important as it is in other spots. Um, so that's one thing I'm definitely looking at are guys that are, one, really good at approach shots. Um, two, I'm looking at performance on par 70 courses in the past, and I use Fantasy National to break that down. I'm working on my own database right now for that but uh, right now a tool that I use uh, number one tool I believe in the golf industry right now uh, for DFS is uh, Fantasy National and so I'm looking at par 70s I'm looking at bent grass that's the type of greens we got here so I'm looking at a little bit of putting from that um, the cut line here over the last five years has been like plus two to plus five so it's get, probably going to be some chaos we're usually going to see that winning scores have kind of We've seen in the last five years between minus 12 and minus 20. Justin Rose won with minus 20 in, in 2018. I think we get a little bit closer to that just because of the strength of the field alone. I think we're more in that 15 to 20 range uh, versus kind of that lower teens. The wind plays a factor in that as well. Um, we are here in Texas, so um, going to always have to pay attention to that. 
So that that's a couple things I'm looking at. And then in terms of approach shot distance, because of, like I talked about, maybe laying back a little bit off the tee using three woods, five woods, irons, um, you're only going to see an average driving distance maybe around 295 to maybe 300 yards. So we're going to get a lot of approach shots in that 150 to 175 range. So I broke down approach shots from Fantasy National over, I believe it's the last five years, um, pot... I'm not exactly sure on the sample size. I know it's between 5 and 10 years. But the percentage of approach shots from each distance, we've got 125 to 150 and 175 to 200, right around that 18 to 19% range. 150 to 175 is 27% of all approach shots have come from that distance. So that's definitely one place I'm really looking at this week uh, in my model. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about the scores probably trending better only because, like we said at the beginning, this is not the ones where I'm going to call them heavy hitters, whatever you want to call the top the top tier of talent. If those guys haven't been playing here over the over time, you know, maybe some of those sample sizes they're probably correct in that in that you know you can look over just the amount of golfers that have played here in the past, and there's going to be differences. But if you are if you're now looking at the elite of the elite kind of stepping into this field, I don't know how much that will sort of bend around the rules around like what's happened here in the past right yeah. that's, that's like the only thing that i find to be um it's probably just a question mark that everyone's going to deal with here yep. said to say look not all the best players have ever played at this thing this isn't augusta right <laughs> like yep. where we can say each the, the best the best players show up every single year to play here u.s open a little different because they move the courses around but the you know the, the ones that the, the in general kind of go that are pretty static uh on a year-to-year basis that draw the best golfers this is just simply not going to be the case on this one. Now, I do think, you know, let's let's talk a little bit. You know, mostly this is a DFS podcast, right? So, you know, we're 12 minutes in. We should probably just, you know, talk a little bit about the players that we're targeting here <laughs> in terms of lineups, in terms of, in terms of uh, you know, builds and, you know, the GPP versus cash. I want to talk a little how injuries weigh into some of the things that we're discussing here because sometimes that can be a, more of a subjective sort of thing that you'd kind of mm-hmm. need to add your own little flavor or question mark around that models are going to have difficulty. Any model is going to have difficulty around injuries, but let's just start. I'm just going to throw it out here right now. Roy McElroy, he was the top, he was your top target. I think he's gonna be most people's top targets. Um, your model, my model or our model, his every single thing he's done is basically just like the best. I don't really mm-hmm. know what really, no matter which way you slice it. Do you think, Based on the pricing, he's 11-8 on DraftKings this week. He's 12-2 on FanDuel. Just judging on his sort of dominance over the field over the long term, plus the pricing, plus maybe there's some, I don't know, maybe some softer pricing here trying to invite people back into DFS. Do you think we see Rory as just maybe even just the overall top play? And, and, And if so, would it be warranted? It's pretty close, and one thing I just started looking at, um, one of our sponsors is Fanshare Sports. Um, he's number one in tag counts right now, uh, 38. And Webb Simpson's number two at 37, so it's very close there. But in terms of those top-tier guys, I think Rory is the chalk for sure. Um, one thing that makes this week interesting is that everyone's had a layoff. I don't think any of these golfers have ever gone this long without swinging. I'm sure they've swung a golf club. Some of them have nice uh, driving ranges in their back backyard and stuff. But in terms of competition and staying away from competition, almost none of them or almost all of them haven't gone this long without being in competition. So that kind of adds a little bit more variance than we've ever seen before. I mean, we can go back and look at the start of, of uh, new seasons and see, okay, well, this player doesn't start till March. He skips the fall event. How does he play? That sort of thing. But this is still different because they're not playing at all during this offseason. So I think Rory definitely is the chalk. He's the best player in the field for sure. I'm going to have line. I don't really care if he's unless he's going to be 60 percent owned in gpps which isn't going to be the case i i'm not gonna he's one player i'm not going to fade because of ownership and that's something i'm really looking at this week is possibly making some pivots in gpp from those players that are going to be high on just because of the added variance but rory mcelroy is one that i'm not looking at ownership projections or nothing on him um, unless it gets too high but he's definitely going to be there. He started out the season with six straight top fives, including a win on the PGA Tour. So he was just thumping along. Um, so I'm not really worried about him. I do feel he is easily the top player in the field this week. Look, when you look at his over the last you know, year, two, two and a half years, his average rounds are just significantly better than anybody else. Yep. It's not mathematically, it's not really all that close. Uh, look, when you. When you look at golfers over the long term, if you just compare them plus minus on average, 
the numbers by as percentages are, are actually insanely close. It's like 0.97 to like 0.977. So you're, but you're all the way into the thousandth yeah. <laughs> decimal place before when you actually start making comparisons. It's very thin. There's a very thin difference between the very best guy and the very worst guy when you just talk about just overall percentages. But when you add that into a model, even just even what would be perceived to be very very small differences actually become huge when everyone else is grouped pretty closely, right? Yeah. So like when it look when you look at him, he just is he just you know like I said, no matter which way you slice it, he just ends up being easily the best round per round guy on the at least among this group that's sitting here. Um, the standard deviation is a little high, but that makes sense because his scores are really good. Yes. <laughs> so it, like yeah. it's just um, the coefficient of variation. Uh, when you look at that, it actually gets a little, he actually ends up being a little closer to the field. It's a little higher than everybody else. But again, I'm only going to, I'm going to account that for being, he's just so good that he's just going to have great rounds. A bunch more of 63s than, more than and 64s rather than just right, you exactly. know, sticking that's, in the not, middle. Yep. Exactly. It's not like he's just missing cuts or winning tournaments. It's like he's either being really good or he's so good. Yes. <laughs> and, that's, and that's where and that's and that's where and that's where that, that, that coefficient of variation kind of comes in. So I think that most models, like you said, will kind of see him uh, as a really popular play. Maybe people fade on ownership cash. It seems like an incredibly safe play just based on how good he is compared to the field. Any who else in this upper tier? Are you targeting here? I mean, I'm going to call the upper tier on DraftKings. I'm sort of making this 9K. up. I'm going to call this maybe like, yeah, like maybe like 9K and up. 9K and up. That'd be, there's about like 12 guys, 13 guys that have fallen to this range. 13. Uh, you know, obviously Rory. Yeah. So uh, in this 9K range, who else do you see as uh, a pretty safe target or maybe even a GPP target? One thing on Rory before I go into a couple more plays here. Um, on my main model, the sheet that I provide every week, you're going to see that Rory's 26th in my overall rankings. Don't. Don't worry about that. One thing my my sheet doesn't really account for is he doesn't have any course history, so he gets a ding on that. So what I do each and every right. week is I will go just to kind of play with this model a little bit. I will go and make a copy of my sheet, and I will go readjust that model, and I will just completely take out course history and run like form and stats only. Uh, with that said, Rory goes to number one. You take course history out with that ding because he hasn't played here, he automatically jumps to number one. So just keep that in mind when you're using yeah. the sheet is that these rankings are based on the model that I have in there now. I run multiple, multiple models every single week for PGA just to kind of get a get a look and see who stands out in certain areas because um, it is harder to see sometimes. Now, moving on. If Rory's going to be that high owned, there's a couple guys that I definitely like. I think John Rahm's going to be high owned too. I love his upside. Um, he's one of the best players. He started out the season red hot as well. Um, he's got five events. He's got two top fives and four top fi top tens. He's got two top fives here in 2017 and 2018. Missed the cut last year. I think he's a going to be a good play at $800 less than Rory if you need that $800. And then kind of a GPP pivot that's going to be a little bit lower owned from some of these guys in the top tier. I'm looking at Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas. They're kind of in that low teens in terms of tag counts on fan share right now. And with so many top players like Rory, Rom, I think Webb Simpson's going to be popular. Um, possibly Dustin Johnson. We'll talk about him here in a little bit just because of his price. And, you know, he's a former number one player in the world. So he's got an excellent price for points per dollar wise. I think Rory and uh, Justin Thomas are great GPP upside low owned plays this week right now our FanDuel model has just playing Rory and Justin Thomas together and then oh, sort well. of sorting it out on the sorting it out on the cheaper side um I, I whether that's correct or not um well that remains to be seen but just it speaks to how good Justin Thomas has been right now um just our model just has Justin Thomas over the last couple of years as being the second best golfer uh just yeah. overall um he's still he's still pretty far behind uh Rory all things considered he and Rom are decently close but um, but Justin Thomas better on average and better standard deviation means he's just slightly more consistent on a round to round basis than than John Rahman. So uh, it's close. I, I go ahead. Fowler makes sense as well. I just wanted to say that just looking at the pricing, comparing DK and FanDuel, Fowler is a much better yeah. value on FanDuel. Yep, interesting. Yeah, there's a and, and, and Webb Simpson's another guy. Webb Simpson's incredibly consistent. The standard deviation yep. is actually the lowest among this top tier, uh, and actually, actually not all that close. You need to get down to uh, Colin Morikawa, Morikawa um, but that but that's a pretty that's a smaller sample size than some of these other guys because he 
hasn't he's played about only about 80 rounds on the tour as right. opposed to a lot of these other guys have, are like 150 or above like some cl- trending even closer to 200 uh tony finau actually incredibly consistent as well uh maybe that's the next tier down for yeah. you uh but what i'm talking about just in just in terms of straight up consistency and being really good uh that group that small group to me right now is rory and actually no rory consistently not as much but just the overall better so whatever uh that group is john rom justin thomas uh webb simpson and then you scroll down a little bit and you get the Tony Finau, but that's, nice. I would say that's the, that's the elite group of consistency Does that kind of line up with what you kind of have observed or like what you kind of see on a round to round basis from these guys. Uh, by the way, if that's the case, Finau kind of seems underpriced maybe on DraftKings as well. Yeah, hundred percent. That's, that's the way I'm looking at it in terms of consistency. And if I was starting a cash lineup in that top upper tier, I'd probably stay away from Rory just because you can build a really nice balanced lineup this week. And I'd probably start with Webb Simpson because of that consistency. We not only know that we're going to get um, like a very good chance he's going to make the cut, but there's a very good chance he's going to finish easily top 20 and he's got winning top five upside um, right there. So that consistency is there. And Finau, from a points per dollar perspective, we've seen him in that 10K range. I know the field is loaded here, so his prices kind of came down a bit from what we've seen in some some lesser fields, but he's just super consistent. And this is one course where he's his total driving, so he can still get the distance out of his drives, but still keep that accuracy is what I've found from looking at these past events with him. Like he finished runner up last year, uh, 29th in 2017, 34th in 2016 and 19th in 2015. He's been very consistent here. Um, and then almost took it home last year, but he's still averaging over 300 yards per drive and still staying accurate. So, I mean, that's just, that's huge for me in terms of if I was starting a cash line right now today, um, gun to my head, it would be Webb Simpson, Tony Finau. That's where I'd start. Yeah, and by the way, one thing that's really funny about DraftKings for us is that even though Rory is basically lapping the field in terms of projection, his that 11-8 does get a little close based on sort of what you said because it's like all of a sudden when you can and our model has it the same way with Webb Simpson and Tony Finau basically, right? If if you yeah. if you even if you, if you just want to get a little bit safer, Finau is a lock, Simpson's really close um, in terms of just where you start with consistency, but the difference of Rory at 11.8 and all the way down to Webb Simpson at, at the 98, that 2,000 savings makes a huge difference. Right? Totally. I don't want to like get into the math with everybody. Most people should just understand this. The $2,000 difference, yes, Rory's better, but is he $2,000 better? When, it, when, you, when you can make up that $2,000 in terms of just maybe having another sort of elite golfer in your lineup, that's where that math problem gets a little closer. I don't think that problem is as clear on FanDuel. I think on FanDuel it's a lot easier at 12-2 yes. to just say – just to say it's Rory and we'll figure out all the rest on DraftKings, even with how good of a projection is, it does come a little close. Now I'm going to stay in this top tier. We're going to go through the lower tiers here in a second. Just you before you go before, forward, Dustin Johnson. one more thing on Rory go. before yeah. we move. The difference there is that $2,000 is the difference between Rory and a 6K player to finish your lineup or Webb Simpson and an 8K player. I'll take Webb Simpson yeah, and an 8K that's huge, player in a cash lineup. Exactly. That's huge. That's huge. When you yep. when you when you look at this field, that is a, the, there's massive differences between those those price tiers. Um, that's that's irrefutable. So I totally agree with you. I still think it's fine. I still think you can probably find enough value just oh, based yeah. on the field. Um, but it's way close. But it's way closer. I'm going to stay in the top tier here because you mentioned Dustin Johnson. So yes. this is a guy that offline you and I, well online but off off pod you and I talked a lot about because if you look at Dustin Johnson over the last couple of years, Dustin Johnson is among the very best golfers in yep. all golf. He's actually, by this model, when you don't factor anything else in, he's actually the fourth best golfer. Rory, uh, Thomas, Rom, DJ. That's, how, that's the order. Uh, and then there's kind of actually a big drop-off after those four. So when we first ran the model, by the way, missed one cut in the last 162, over 162 rounds, not tournaments, but he played 162 rounds and he's missed one cut over, the, over that time. So you just divide it by four and you'll basically figure out how many tournaments he's yep. played. The... <clears throat> But you and I talked about it, and you said, ooh, like your first reaction was, I don't know. And I was like, oh, man, that's crazy. Now, this is my ignorance about golf, though, because I thought this was interesting. Tell me why you sort of buckled at, or, you know, not buckled, that's the wrong one, whatever. You kind of just kind of like, you know, grimaced when you see the DJ come in there because from a mathematical standpoint with nothing else to figure out, you're like, this is the deal of the century. 9,500 on DraftKings, 11.7, a little closer on FanDuel. But it's our model would say absolute must figure out, figure out, figure out everything else uh, after him. But but you had a different take on it. I think people I want to hear I want you to tell people why. 
Well, he had knee surgery um, back in September. I mean, that's that's quite a long time ago now. So it, it's not like it was last week he had he had knee surgery. He was injured two weeks ago or anything like that. But since he came, like before, he was gaining strokes like three, four strokes on average per tournament. And then right before the surgery, he lost about almost 16 strokes on the Tour Championship and the BMW Championship at the end of last season. Had the surgery, came back in January at the Tournament of Champions, finished seventh. I mean, that doesn't really stand out to me. We're only talking about a field of 30 players. Um, so not a real big deal. He gained almost two strokes on approach, which is great, but that's a super easy course. Went to the AT&T Pro-Am, finished 32nd. Um, that was a month later, so he took a month off from the Tournament of Champions. Um, this is only PGA Tour. This is not overseas or anything. I'm not, I don't have that up with me right now. But the Pro-Am, he lost strokes on approach. He finished uh, T32, then went to the Genesis the following week. Um, he had a good good event, uh, finished T10, and he gained strokes in every single strokes gain category. Um, but then he went into the WGC Mexico, which he's really been awesome at the WGCs, finished T48, which was very, he gained five strokes off the tee, but lost a stroke and a half on approach and six strokes putting. So for me, it's more consistency. I would, a lot of people might use him in cash games this week just because of the price and the quality of player at that price. Myself, I love it for GPP. I'm way off for cash. I need to see more of a sample size, him getting back to gaining strokes on approach because he's lost uh, strokes on approach in four of his last six events. And he's gain- He's usually a pretty darn good putter. Like at least um, just looking at, say, the last 156 rounds overall, he's gained on average 0.6 strokes per round um, over the last five events, uh, you know, pretty much since that surgery. He's losing almost a stroke per round on average uh, putting. So until that putting gets back, until he gets that stroke back, until he gets his strokes gained approach, you know, that approach style um, back, and he's a little bit more consistent. I won't touch for cash. He could be 9K, and I won't put him in my cash lineup. Interesting. So this is a situation where if I compare it to other sports, I would say there's an injury piece that is not factored into when you just look at the straight numbers, right? We have a definitive yep. thing that happened. He had surgery. There's been a, a, you know, a somewhat clear difference in his play after the surgery. And if I'm using like a basketball example, I would say, okay, this is you know Victor Oladipo coming back from surgery. We simply just can't it's okay to be a day late or a tournament late on Dustin Johnson, right? Like if, yeah. if it, when injuries are concerned, if this not from a GPP perspective, you want to go out there and, and, and roll the dice and say he's back and he's among the elite golfers in the world. I think it's totally fine. But if you have a clear thing that's happened and there's been maybe a clear difference in play since that, you can say, you know, for cash, everyone else can, can kind of be a day early. I'll be a day late and I'll be okay with that. Yeah. Especially in a field this strong, right? Maybe if he's, if he's the, if he's the only guy in the field in 9,800, right? Because or half these guys, then it's a different story. Then you have to say, okay, look, an injured Dustin Johnson is just better than you know a non-injured Ches Reeve or whatever, yes. right? So like it's it's uh, I'm just to pick a random name. So it's not that's not the case. It's just say, look, we have a clear thing that's happened. And I and when you explain that, when you kind of went through the injury thing, I said, okay, that was enough for me to sort of manually ding his projection. By the way, still close, even with a manual ding, yeah. still, still close because eighty percent DJ so is still damn good at that price. And I kind of just arbitrarily said five to seven percent, kind of like you know fluctuated between those two things. It's sort of just made up. I don't know exactly how much it's taken away. Another guy that we manually, I will get to the lower tier, middle tier here in a second, but another guy we went along that same kind of line was Jason Day. And Jason Day, you actually really kind of like almost like visibly got sick yep. <laughs> um, when when he got brought up because and um, and he was another one where if you just look at when he actually plays. He's really, really good. Yeah. But explain why Explain why I'm qualifying that by saying when he actually plays. He could pretty much just change his name to Withdraw. No one would really notice, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> it seems like every time he's in the field, you need to pay attention right up to lineup lock to make sure that he does not withdraw. If there is a... Um, like a Wednesday pro-am he's dropped out of those before and everyone you know the ownership drops off the table because they don't want to play him for the tournament starting Thursday boom he turns around and plays puts out a top five just like you said when he plays he's on but he's always got something always always got some sort of injury or or mental thing like in terms of um, like headaches and stuff like that I think vertigo was one of his problems one year it just for cash games I mean that price is amazing for the upside that he provides again I'll, I would have a little bit of a share um, for GPP, but the problem is that his injury, I mean, we've been off for three months, so this is a little different, but the last tournament before the players was suspended there, before the whole COVID thing, was the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and he withdrew in round one. Yeah. 
Um, so that kind of has me even more on edge with him. I probably will have zero shares of him, although I would not knock anyone for putting him in a GPP because he's going to be low-owned because everyone's scared uh, like they should be. Um, but he's actually got more tags than DJ, which really surprises me and I think is more price-driven than anything else. Yeah, I think that's it, right? Like his standard deviations all over the place because yeah. of his withdrawals and just like um, like just where, where he just can't seem to consistently – you know, kind of get out there on a consistent basis yep. or maybe even perform on a consistent basis when he's, I think we could agree when he's healthy, um, he's great. Oh yeah. And it's just, but there, but if there's a question mark. Like if you, if that's, you know, if, you know, if you want to compare it to a basketball thing, maybe we're thinking Anthony Davis here, right? Yep. It's like, yeah, the price looks good. Maybe the, no, let's talk Pelicans, Anthony Davis. It hasn't been a problem with the Lakers, but like Pelicans, Anthony Davis was, yeah, he's 10,000 because the guy could just leave because of a hangnail at halftime and never come back, right? It's, yeah. it's not because it's not because a full game of Anthony Davis at ten. I'm making up the price ten thousand is a total no brainer. But the reason he's ten thousand is because you can't ever count on the full game. So I think if we're just using a comparison, that that to me, I mean, it's probably not a perfect one to one, but probably close. You know, those those Anthony Davis won't, won't return game time decision unlikely to return or whatever um, kind of tags is probably the thing you get scared about. All right, he's, let's get down. He's just always a cute low, tag. Lower, those those guys yeah, probably their wives probably have like a big giant cue hanging up in the kitchen in the morning when they get up. <laughs> Question, questionable to eat right. breakfast today. Anyways, moving yeah, exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> could 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 withdraw. Could yeah. withdraw from lunch. Um, let's let's talk. Let's go down to some of these middle tiers, lower tiers. I think we're going to find a lot of value here um, in terms of just because again, not to hammer on the point, just the, the totally loaded field with some soft pricing to draw yep. people back into DFS in a big way. Uh, that's not. That's the correct business model to take, by the way. I'm not knocking DraftKings or FanDuel for doing this. You should do this. You're going to get a lot Customers. of casual fans coming into this. Look, if I played UFC last weekend, uh, you're going to get casual fans in on PGA, no doubt. Oh, yeah. So, uh, walk, me through, uh, walk me through some middle-tier targets. I'm going to throw some guys past you um, in terms of like guys that are standing out to us. Uh, but where are you looking sort of when you get into that <laughs> Uh, you know, eighty nine hundred and below sort of range. Uh, on both, uh, I'll, say, I'll, I'll focus on DraftKings right yeah, now. But where, sure. do you, where are you looking at uh, in, ter- in terms of these this this, this kind of tier? Here? Well, this is very interesting in that Jordan Spieth um, has crushed this tournament. If you look at course history, he's got he's played here since twenty thirteen. That is seven events. He's got a win, uh, two runner ups, and no finish worse than T thirty two in there. Uh, that's an average finish of nine point four. Um, so he's got an average finish of top 10 here at this, and he's only 8K. Now, if you're going off course history, he's going to be uh, super chalk, and I think he's going to be super chalk because of that price. But he has been trending down for uh, some, like, two-odd years uh, in a lot of categories off the tee. Um, he used to be an elite putter. He's he's kind of lost that elite putting. So going off course history alone, he's going to be a fade for me because he's going to be high owned. I think he's number two or three in tags on fan share. That for me, I, I actually love his price because he's going to lower the ownership of all the other guys in that range. A few that stand out, I'll just go over real quickly. Um, we talked about Tony Finau right above him. I love Mark Leishman. I think he's going to be low owned. Um, he's been solid here as well as pretty darn consistent to start the season as well. I don't think he's, he's he hasn't missed a cut outside of it. It was a withdrawal at the very first event, but other than that, he hasn't missed a cut. He's got three top fives in there, including a win as well. Um, that win and a, a runner up in his last event at the Arnold Palmer. So he, he went into the whole COVID pandemic break with pretty good form. I like to see he's got course history. Then you got Matt Kutcher, fits that exact same bill. He's only 400 less. He's number eight in my model. Course history, form, he fits this course style a lot with his accuracy, not only off the tee, but on the approach shots. And then he's a he's a tremendous elite putter. Um, so I definitely like that for cash games. I like a guy that's going to make those putts. Um, it kind of let me Let me jump in here real strokes. quick. Yeah, go ahead. Let me jump. Jump in real quick. I'm gonna uh, totally agree on Kucher right now in our DraftKings lineup. Um, that that one seemed that was like a Jason Day replacement. Once I figured yep. out the Jason Day issue, <laughs> um, then it was it kind of pivoted into Matt Kucher. So I love that. I want to say something about Spieth. You know, you mentioned that Spieth had been a lead of the elite, and then if you really look at the last two years of Jordan Spieth, he's more like I'm just gonna throw some random names out here that his numbers are very very close to. He's more like Daniel Berger, Kevin Na. Okay. Um, Max Homa, Homa to the, he's much closer to this group than that top group that to we mentioned. To the average before. PGA like, Tour I, player, not the elite PGA Tour player anymore. I, I, exactly, and like you know, be, slightly better than average. The, the, he is yeah. better than average. So I'm not, I'm not saying that, but 
when you look at his numbers, he over the longish term, by the way, this is not just this is not just like the last five tournaments or this is, you know, 150 rounds, 170 rounds or whatever it is. He's just not in that top group. Now he's priced accordingly, at least on Fandle. He's not priced in that group. Uh, that's correct. But I my guess is a guy like Spieth probably rings out in the heads of people. Yeah. Like the, the 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 average golf fan or below average golf fan more than the other names that I just threw out there, right? 100%. Like the like those those names aren't going to carry as much weight as Spieth because for a while he just wasn't in this group. He was in the top group, Multiple but I just want to caution that it's been a it's been a long time that he's yep. just been basically in that like upper or just actually like kind of yeah upper middle tier. Yes. We'll call it. It's not. It's it's just not the Dustin Johnson. Webb Simpson, Brooks, Kapka, you know, group, uh, Rory, obviously, group of guys. He just, even though, even though his name might sort of land for different people in that, like, like it did for me as sort of yep. just like a novice golf fan at, at the start. So, and that's uh, why he's going to be just popular. want to Yeah. And, and, and is it going to be correct? I don't know. The numbers do not support it. The numbers nope. do not support a play for him as a, as a, as specifically as a cash game play. Now, He'd be a guy, if I saw that he was like, what, 40% owned, 50% owned in DraftKings, uh, I'd probably say good. I think people just made yeah. a straight-up mistake. Or they're, bu- they're buying off name. Because exactly. there's, no, there's not a single number that supports that him as a play, even with a very cheap 8000 price tag. And I think people will be drawn uh, to that. Can I, can I throw out some uh, cheaper? Do you have some more guys? I want to throw out some cheaper guys to you. and give me, I want to hear you what me your, your guys first, and then I'll just, I'll just throw in the last few guys if you don't hit on them. Because I think you're going to hit on a few guys. Okay, so when I'm running the models, um, it's it's kind of you know like I said, it's prioritizing Rory. It's gonna you know, uh, Finau is definitely a guy in there. John Rahm, Justin Thomas, these are the guys that it's kind of wants to get in there. Now, when you do this, you obviously need to take some stabs at the lower middle tier and below just to be able to fit in. Um, you know, just to just basically just make the money work. I don't really know another way to put it. Like for yeah. instance, on FanDuel, we run a thing. It's McElroy, Rahm, and Thomas. Well, when you do that, you all of a sudden realize you don't have a ton of money to spend <laughs> for the rest of the guys. Let me throw out some guys that are kind of landing in this range of cheap, but might be cheap and good enough to not really have to totally sweat it. One guy that we keep landing on pretty consistently is Billy Horschel. Horschel, specifically on DraftKings, looks like a good play. Compared to average in his price tier, uh, he looks like kind of like an excellent play. The one concern I have for him, the standard deviation is a little bit high compared to the rest of the group. On average, he's a much better golfer than this group of like, uh, on DraftKings, it's like Dom, and I know you like Harry English, or Harris English, so um, I'll, I'll save that one uh, for a second. But it's like uh, Ryan Palmer, Joaquin Neiman. This is where this is the group that he falls in. From a consistency standpoint, he is riskier than these guys, but from an hmm. average standpoint, he's significantly better than those guys. So when you hear that and you see the name Horschel, like kind of what comes to mind? I've never really been a big Billy Horschel fan, and that's kind of I guess clouded my judgment on him for dfs i've really warmed up to him for dfs over say the last year just because of the consistency that he he has shown for the price that he comes in so i definitely love this price he's made 13 of his last 15 cuts going back to like last summer um and looking at his just his last four events going back to february he gained strokes um on approach in each and every one of them he gained strokes putting in three of the four off the tee in three of the four his around the green game isn't I don't want to say it's elite. It's definitely above average how he's been playing, but he's not only been making cuts, but he's been getting, you know, seeing that upside of those top 10 finishes in some pretty strong fields in the WGC and the Waste Management Phoenix Open as well. So at this price, I'm definitely on board with Horschel. He's a core play for me this week. Neiman, um, he'd be more of the GPP pivot. He kind of had some terrible form going into this whole break, but he's had some success here. Um, he can be elite in terms, if he gets his, his iron game going, he can be definitely elite, and that's going to help on these small greens for sure. If you get a guy that's going to be, you know, even a half a stroke better per round in terms of gaining strokes on the approach shot, he, those are the players that are going to be there on the leaderboard on Sunday. Um, I don't think he's going to be there, but I do think the upside is definitely there with, with his style of game. Ryan Palmer, I definitely see it. Um, the standard deviation, I think, would be a little bit well, higher. Real quick, real quick about Palmer. Yep. Real quick about Palmer. I was, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan. I want to be clear. I'm not a fan of Palmer. I was mostly just throwing out other guys in the in Billy Horschel range. I've um, got Palmer, yeah, yeah. I'd say I got Palmer labeled as a value play, and just simply because he has had success here, like high end upside um, at this course, including a sixth last year. He's had some success earlier this season, but it just seems like he's. I wouldn't use him for cash. It'd be more of the GPP pivot off of Billy Horschel, just because he does have that same upside, I believe. But 
to me, just looking at his course history and form, um, there's a lot of high finishes and then a lot of either missed cuts or like bottom of the guys that make the cut kind of thing. So it's more of a GPP play for me. Talk to me about Harris English though. We'll just stay in the same. We'll stay in the same uh, sort of tier here because I know you really like Harris English this week. Our model doesn't as much, but I'm interested to hear about why that this guy's a name that stands out to you. And I think the reason why um, your model, like the DFSR model, doesn't like him as much is because you're going back and grabbing a little bit bigger of, of a sample size, correct? You're yeah, going yeah, back, and, like, one, and the miscut, the miscuts, the. Yeah, the missed cuts on this guy from the beginning right. probably are just through the roof because he's got 23 missed cuts, which is like double most other guys. I don't we don't model it off missed cuts. It's just a good number to look at to say that's probably been inconsistent, right? Well, like, so if you if you have a missed cuts, it's just it's it's easier to say lots of missed cuts than to actually tell you the average number, which is going to look a little weird, right? Yep. So that's that that. But but you're saying that if you if I went back a shorter a, a shorter distance distance is wrong a shorter period of time this number would start looking different, you're saying? 100%. That's where I was going with this. Is last year, the 2018-19 season, he had zero top, 28 events, zero top 10s, seven missed cuts, and only four top 25s. So even when he's making the cut, he's not really doing much. Um, this year has been a complete and total turnaround for him. Um, it was really good to see. He started off the year with four top six finishes in the first five events this fall and then he missed a cut at the rsm in november and then it turned into january into the uh the 2020 portion of the season came out with a t48 and a t71 which wasn't great but going into the break he had three straight top 20s including a top 10 at the arnold palmer invitational which is a very prestigious event a lot a very good field so seeing that that was awesome and he finished with a 76 74 on the weekend so that t9 he definitely had a chance to win going into the weekend of that event um so seeing him you know trend back towards having success on the tour and not just making cuts but seeing those high-end finishes gaining that confidence um he's fifth in my model because he also has course history he's got two top fives back Going back to 2012, he's made five of six cuts here as well going back to mm -hmm. 2012. So looking at a sh more short-term model, he's one that definitely stands out. Um, he definitely so when I hear something here, when I hear something interesting, when I, yes. when I, cut, when I cut it in half, when yeah. I basically cut, I, I, picked a ran, I picked a random place. It was like the Shriners 2019 or something like that. I, I sort of just like arbitrarily. He goes from a borderline bad play to like a top ten value play on oh, DraftKings wow. by shortening by go. shortening just the sample just shortening size. the time eh, yeah it's just shortening the sample size a little bit which you, look I think in some of these sports that's okay to do you can just make changes you can make changes that that have significant effects on your game I I'm not a golf expert I'm terrible at golf I don't know a ton but I, this is just makes sense to me on a base level to say there is a chance that this guy just made a wholesale change. Yes, and if and if, and he's been consistent, and it, and it's been a wholesale change that's basically like you know from one day to the next, right? <laughs> like I just changed it, and it, and I, I'm a better golfer now. His numbers really support that to the point where I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe for this model, we just maybe for Harris English, we do eliminate you know a decent size of this. We only go back a year, um, and I know mathematically, different people would have a different problem would have problems with this, like on a just like a, you know a, a general stats yes. level. But yep. I think I think there's times where it's in the same way we said about Dustin Johnson and Jason Day that there's just something else we kind of need to factor in here. I think this is a reasonable thing to do as well. So I yeah, and, I, and this is why it's so great to talk out. And to to back that up for you if, in comparing to other sports, most other sports are daily. You got your hockey, your basketball, your baseball. Those are daily. So we're automatically getting a large sample size in not so long of time frame versus golf. To get that large sample size, you're going back three years. Um, Harris English yeah. went through a three-year stretch of just absolutely terrible golf. He's probably wanted to quit. Um, you know, worked with his coach to come back, and obviously he's proven that he's made a huge change, and he's what did they say in one article? He Harris English is becoming Harris English again because before that three-year rut, he was a very good golfer, um, and and now he's getting back to that. So yeah, golf sample size is a little bit different, and you really almost in s certain instances like this one, we really have to be open to, like you said, making changes, um, factoring in other things that maybe we would never do in other sports. And it's going to be subjective, and it could be incorrect. Yes. There's, I want to be really yep. clear about that too. It's, it's, 
it's it's sort of art. It's picking sort of arbitrary endpoints to try to maybe fit a narrative that you think is correct. And I and I get that part of it. So, um, but I do think that there are times where you should just. It's good to take a hard look at at, at a circumstantial change that's happened to somebody and say. That's just this isn't the same guy that was that just couldn't make a cut. Hundred percent. Right? This is it's just clearly that's just not the case. That's just not the case. If he was going through, um, if he was just going through struggles or whatever it was, you can sort of work your way out of that rut on a on a permanent basis. Like that's uh that's that I think that is reasonable. All right, we're starting to go a little long here. Walk me through. I have a couple other guys, but I want to hear some of your other value plays. I'll, I'll go rapid fire on on, on okay. a couple of these guys at the end, but I want to hear some of your value, some lower end uh, value targets here. A couple rapid fire guys for me. One guy who I think um, probably really like this break uh, coming was russell knox he's only 7200 i love that price this course fits him because he's not your bomber type he's more your accuracy placement off the tee um approach shot guy something like that he's not like your rory or dj that's going to bomb it out there 300 yards although he has worked on his distance anyways he went into the break missing four straight cuts after a pretty good start to the season where he was just hammering out top 25 after top 25 and was like a cash lock for me every single week he missed four straight cuts going into the break. He's got excellent course history here. So not only did he get the break, which was perfect timing for him, who was golfing shitty, he now gets to restart at a course probably where he's had the most success out of any course on tour, four top 25s in four, only four times he's been to this course and a top 10 career high top 10 here last year. So he's most definitely on my list, probably going to be in my cash lineup. Um, even though that seems crazy, he missed four cuts before the break. Not worried about that just because of the situation. I love the price. Um, going down even further, I don't mind Jimmy Walker. He's got that course history here as well. He is just super cheap. If he was in the mid-7Ks, I'd probably avoid just because of his season form, how things have gone. But he did go into the break opposite of Knox with two back-to-back top 25 finishes. So that's, I don't know, look at that how you want. But he's definitely one in the sub-7K. And then all the way down this week, um, bottom of... I don't normally, I was telling you offline that I don't normally go into this minimum price range um, for PGA lineups, but there's a couple guys that stand out here. Josh Teeter um, is one. His standard deviation is probably through the roof in terms of week-to-week consistency. He has shown um, he's got a runner-up at two tournaments ago, and then he's got an 11th place finish. Other than that, it's just pretty much a disaster when you're looking at his um, form this season. But he comes back to this course. He finished T17 last year. Um, He's made the cut here in five straight events going back to 2011 with three top 25. So at 6K minimum price on DraftKings, I'm in for GPP. You can absolutely stack like McElroy. Um, You can go with like a Fowler, a Leishman, um, Patrick Reed, Webb Simpson. You can get two or possibly even three of those top guys going to these min price guys. And then one that... He plays on the Champions Tour, Bernhard Langer. Um, the only reason he stands out is the course type. He's been awesome on the Champions Tour. He's pretty much the best golfer on the Champions Tour uh, right now. But he's very accurate off the tee and on approach. That's something I'm really looking at. I All I'm looking for from these guys in this 6K range is make the cut. If you make the cut and I've got five players who are, you know, say all five players finish top 10, including the winner and maybe another top five. I think you can win a GPP with one of these min price guys that finishes, let's say T50, T45 to T65, which is the cut this week. Um, so that's kind of two directions I'm going in my super punt stars and scrubs lineups. Teeter, not as uh, inconsistent as you might've thought. He's actually, if you look over the long term, um, it's actually not too bad. Uh, he's if, even if the, even if the recent stuff has been kind of weird and all that over the place with better. these missed cuts, which is, yeah. Um, yeah. And I see uh, these missed cuts are like a lot, so, so yeah. I get it, <laughs> but uh, like 13 missed cuts in 64 total rounds is kind of a disaster. Yeah. Uh, maybe his standard deviation is lower because he's just been kind of bad the whole time. That could be the problem too. Like True it's just enough. like consistently, consistently bad can also have your standard deviation be lower because his average actually as an average golfer, he's actually below average um, right. over, over that term too. So that probably explains the standard deviation. It's just like, yeah, just consistently sort of all not that great. Let me, uh, I'll go lightning around that you hear real quick. Couple other guys. Um, I don't know how to say this guy's name. I should have asked you off the air. I have a Christian Biz- uh, Um You're very close. This- Bazudenhout? Okay. He, not a crazy sample size. He's a Euro guy, right? Um, yes, that's correct. Yeah, so when you take these Euro guys, but like the times when he's actually played, P- I don't have as much Euro stuff in here as I have uh, just straight up PGA, but um, when you see these Euro guys, 
he has been pretty good on the tour when he's played. Um, but is it just not enough for you to see? Because our numbers actually really like him as a value. Um, I'm just a little concerned that I'm not looking at enough overall data to make it to make myself feel like really good about it. Well, there's not a lot of data. There's only three tournaments that he's played on the PGA Tour going back to the start of last, or that's all actually this season. He's played the two WGCs, um, the HSBC, he was T17, the Mexico Championship, he was T29, then the Arnold Palmer Invitational, he was T18. What really stands out to me there is that these are loaded fields. These, just like the field we have this week, there's a lot of top players that are in those fields, and he's finished top 30 in all of them with two top 20s. That really, really stands out to me. Um, I don't think he's a bad player. I totally see why he shows up in the system, and he's most definitely on my radar as well. Like, just looking at that price, I will uh, definitely have shares of him. And then in terms of, like, how popular he's going to be, um, he's only got five tags on Fanshare right now. That tells me, you know, in that price range, he's 7300 I believe, right? That lower 7 k range. So you yeah, got yeah, your, he's pretty cheap. You got your Harris English and, and Kevin Na, who are going to be very high-owned in that mid-7K range, really pushes Bazood and Hoot down. Um, I call it Bazood and Hoot. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, Doug, so I, I kind of like the yeah, way good you're enough. saying it. But either way, I think he is an excellent pivot because he has succeeded in these tournaments with big names. And one thing, our, and it's actually, I'm wondering actually too, and maybe we'll just close it on this, but our model does not um, account for difficulty of overall field as a comparative golfers, if that makes sense what I'm saying. like So you get weighted sort of the same and this is incorrect it's just been difficult for me to figure out sort of the math around this yeah. but the um or it's, it's 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 less than optimal it's not incorrect it's just it's suboptimal in that you get rated the same as how you played at like say augusta with a loaded field as you do at some of these other smaller events but that's not totally correct so if i if i had if I could better factor that in, he'd actually get a bigger bump would be my guess. Because if he's only playing right. in fields that are really strong and he's finished this well, he'd actually be higher like, up. kind of like a lock. Oh yeah. Yes. Kind of like a lock. Um, so I, I wonder that's, that's an in interesting thing to me. I just haven't been able to really figure strength the math out around that as much. Yeah. It's just, I, I've got an idea. Is, I'll is talk to really, you about really it offline. hundred percent. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would love it because I, I know that's a, I know that's a failing in this thing. Um, by the way, final thing I just ran, I reran based off of a Harris English, uh, sort of like limited timeline and he was easily a DraftKings play. So, awesome. um, it was kind of like an every lineup kind of guy. All right, buddy, Charles Schwab challenge PGA back sports kind of trending toward Woo! being back. It's been really good. I feel like we could have kept going. I want to get, keep it under an hour here to, for sanity's sake, but, um, you can go over to the DFSR.com. Chris has been, you know, active as all hell for this for this thing. Just you know, picking up every sport as it comes along. We're gonna be back. Um, basket as soon as basketball comes back, we're gonna be back with uh, optimal lineups over through our subscription service, which we're really excited about. I think basketball will be back, obviously, before baseball. Um, that's what we're sort of setting as our core, uh, you know, business piece. But you can still go over to dfsr.com. You can still sign up right now um, and get access to Chris's sheets. You can go over to his Patreon page as well. Uh, give us give us the Patreon page real quick. Um, yeah, uh, Patreon.com. What's the what's the I should have had this handy give, give me your patreon real quick uh www.patreon.com slash bombs and i'll provide a link uh when this is when this is posted kind of in the comment section or whatever it's it's five bucks a month for one sport or ten bucks a month for all sports and i think right now i'm up to somewhere around 10 or 11 sheets that i'm providing so it's an excellent value at that ten dollar level um and then i've got a slack 100 well i'll put it in the show questions. notes yeah i'll put it i'll put the link in the show notes as well so you can be able to see it there um, we'll just, we'll try to get rolling with these as, as soon as much as PGA is coming back. Yes. Uh, I want to do these podcasts every week. So I think it's a good stuff to talk about. I think we have plenty of content to talk about, buddy. it's been great talking. Heck PGA. Yeah. I'll be getting my, be getting my lineups in this week. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers everyone. Good luck.